This is Josh Mills. And this is John Mills. Welcome back to another episode of Acquired Tastings. We are very ecstatic to have you guys with us on another wonderful wine podcast this week. Isn't that right, Dad? That's right. What wine are you doing, Josh? So we are doing rosés this week, and I am doing the Bonnie Dune Vingri de Cigar from out of California from the year 2018. Dad, what about you? I'm doing King Estate. Pinot Noir Rosé, and it's Willamette Valley. Awesome. And what are your snacks this week, Dad? Well, my snacks, I have avocado bacon toast. I have chicken, shrimp, and chorizo paella. And then I have blood orange and raspberry chocolate. All right. Sounds like a good one. And I have, I kind of have a, um, a picnic-inspired plate today. I have some summer sweet cherries i have a kind of a softer version of gruyere cheese i have a sandwich called the georgie from our local sandwich shop ham i have some tuscan salami and then i have some blueberry macarons so a little bit larger plate for me today but there's a theme there's an idea okay kind of behind my plate we'll talk about that as we get into it so but last week or not last week but two weeks ago we had a liquor episode, and I blinded a liquor. That's right, you did. And I thought Maryland. it was uh, Bowmore. I thought it was Bowmore. And all of a sudden, you know, watch. when I said, oh, yeah, we'll see in a couple of weeks about this whiskey, you started laughing, going, oh, I, oh, yay. <laughs> well, yeah. at that point, I knew it was a whiskey, so I thought it was an Isla whiskey that was between 10 to 15 years old, and then I went ahead and said it was Bowmore, just knowing your liquor cabinet you were exactly right it is bomar 15 year old and it, it's isla i-s-l-a-y and i think it's uh i'm not sure the 40 i think it's maybe just 40 percent okay yeah it probably runs around that normal percentage and the ppm is about mm, 25 yeah somewhere so there. and that was to me that was the giveaway Okay. When I was tasting yeah. it, that smoky little peaty quality that we had been tasting, you know, pretty much the entire time, that was um, kind of the giveaway of what it was. That's right. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead. I guess, are you ready to jump into? I'm ready. All right. So uh, we're going to start with mine. Once again, uh, I am doing the Vingris de Cigar from Bonnie Dune Vineyards out of California. And I have a picnic-inspired plate today with some red cherries, some Gruyere-type cheese, a ham and butter sandwich called the Georgie, an Italian salami, and some blueberry macarons. And I think we'll kind of taste through it just kind of however you feel like going. All right. so. So what part of California is it from? Sonoma? So this is from Napa. It's technically from the Central Coast. Um, It doesn't actually have any kind of designation on it. Okay. So it's there's no real kind of subregion that's going on besides Central Coast. Okay. Um, Now the Central Coast is a very very large region. Yeah. In California, it covers basically from San Jose to L.A. Right. That's that's the expanse of this. And you said Paso Robles. With, that is one of the subregions within the Central Valley. Okay. Well. Okay. So let's go ahead and kind of get into it. Now it's a it's a really really light 
light salmon pink color, which I really, really dig in, dig on our rosés. So what are you kind of getting off of that so far? Well, I like the color, like you said, it's quite, uh, it's not straw color, but it's kind of that sandy, a little bit of an orange hint as far as on the nose. There's some good floral there. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out what it is, though. Yeah, there's some light floral. They talk about like rose hips, rose hips. I can never say that word right. Or rose hips. Mm-hmm. Rose hip and some kind of lighter flowers. I kind of get like a jasmine or a honeysuckle kind of yeah, smell. I was going to say honeysuckle. With just some really, really light cherry. I really wanted to get white cherries to go with this, but I could not find white cherries in the store right now it must be a little bit a little bit late in the season that's right late in the season for those kind of good white rainier cherries to be out there and you know this is such a it's such a cool little winery they are like i said they're in the central coast and one of the uh, the originator bonnie dune vineyard came to california to try and recreate burgundy mm-hmm. uh, but then re- realized that that's not really going to happen so he started doing Rhone varieties in okay. around 1986. So right around, right around there was kind of when he opened. He started planting a little bit back, and he would be one of the, I think, I think he's one of what's considered the Rhone Rangers. Oh, Rhone so Ranger. the Rhone Rangers okay. are a group of winemakers and vintners who really dug into. Rhone style varieties in the Central Coast. You know, very inspired. Wear a mask like the Lone Ranger? No, (laughs) no, no. They just have a bunch of wine. Well, maybe he's had to wear a mask here late because of COVID. Right, but so they, you know, they started doing these Rhone varieties, and you know, he was really inspired by Chateau Neuf du Pape, and that his their red wine they do is kind of an homage to. To the Chateau Neuf du Pop wine. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So I'm good. my mouth is watering, so I'm gonna go ahead and try some of this. Well, I tried a little bit of it, and it is it's got a sweet characteristic. It's not real sweet, but you do get that, you know, that little bit of a honeysuckle or or whatever <laughs> flavors, you know, like the jasmine mm-hmm. right there in your palate. Yeah, and so I know when you're when you're talking about sweet wine, it's sweet, Dad. You're not really meaning that there's like sugariness in this wine, right? Right, because it you're is talking a, about the sweet fruit that's in there, kind of tricking your palate to say, "Oh, this is sweet," but really, I think this is pretty dry because I is, just took a taste. Yeah. Now my mouth is drying out, and I'm ready to take another one. This is quite a dry wine. This yeah. is a dry rosé. We, you know, we're not this week. We're not talking. When we're doing rosés. We're not talking about some of those more sweet style rosés, like you know, a white zin or matus or those type of things. We're mm-hmm. we're focusing on dry, good dry rosés for the summer. Mm, okay. Now you said there was no order, right? Mm-mm. Well, I just tried. Now is that a? I see a peppercorn. Yeah. So it's an Italian salami from a company called Oye. Oh, it didn't come from Hams. Well, it, it, I bought it there. Oh, okay. But the brand is called Oye, and it's their Milanese. So it's an apple smoked salami that has just kind of pepper in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, we're talking peppercorns, right? But yeah. So when I was thinking about this wine, I almost did this wine for our summer sippers. Oh, really? Okay. And so when I was it thinking, would have been a good one. It would have been a great one. So when I was thinking about this, I thought, 
when it came to the pairings, I was like, okay, what's going to go with ro- this kind of rosé? I was like, how would I want to drink this? And I was like, you know what? This is a great picnic wine. It's a great wine to take with you on a picnic. And so that's kind of where my mind going, starting with, you know, the pairings. And I just thought about, you know, how a lot of times in Europe, you'll buy some fruit, some cheese, a baguette, mm-hmm. and go out and, you know, with a bottle of wine and kind of sit in a park and, and kind of enjoy you know a two-hour lunch kind of just snacking and enjoying well, and with I, friends. I think josh too when we were in norway we went down to the, the marina and in norway now this was years ago but i think the rule is still the same you cannot buy the shrimp unless you buy it off the boat now okay. sure yeah it's in the grocery stores but that's the way you buy it so you go, we went down in the marina, we bought us some shrimp. Okay, and these are not headless. These were heads-on. And <laughs> you mentioned Matus. I do not remember the wine that we had. Yeah. It was probably some Norwegian something. Mm-hmm. But it could have been Matus. Yeah. <laughs> now, it might have been some, you know, it could have been some rosé like this, or maybe even a Pinot Gris. Right. But it really went well with the shrimp. And I think this wine would go well with shrimp too. Oh yeah, this one this wine would go well with any type of seafood you could throw at it. Except for maybe like a tuna, a heavily spiced tuna mm-hmm. or a heavily spiced mm-hmm. salmon. I think there's just a little bit too much fat that would kind of uh go against this against this wine. But so a little bit more about Bonnie Dune, Dad, while you go ahead and snack a little bit. And then we'll talk about the wine itself. Like I said, the, you know, they started in the mid eighties. Really doing mm. um, the Rhone varieties, and you know they became very popular because they were doing you know just kind of off the wall stuff compared to everybody else. It wasn't just your normal, you know, California cabs or Semillon Blancs or you know Pinot right. Noirs, cab, you know Chardonnays. You know, it's something different, and so they kind of you know started getting a nice um, little following, and they grew and had some you know. Really big brands that I think they ended up kind of selling off. Cardinal Zen mm. um, and Pacific Rim. I mean, Cardinal Zen is a big name. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they ended up selling that part off to kind of focus back in doing what they're doing. Now, since 2004, was um, since 2004, they moved to doing um, bio, biodynamic viticulture. And we've lightly touched on the idea of biodynamics, and maybe we'll have to do a geek episode where we talk about biodynamics and growing in uh, vineyard practices, they just have to do with really following the seasons and kind of connecting on a more, a little bit of a more spiritual level with the land in itself, depending, you know, it kind of changes how you do some harvest things. And since they've done that, you know, they kind of really hold to that when it comes to their whole ethos, when it comes to growing their grapes and then, non-intrusive winemaking as well but this is (laughs) i just really enjoy this wine i think this was in seth's this was in seth's column about rosés wasn't it it could have been okay i don't have that memorized now i tried the the uh salami Mm -hmm. even though that pepper's in there not in every slice it's really thin sliced but that salami is pretty sweet itself and so that sweetness of the salami with the sweetness 
imposed from the fruit that we're tasting goes really well. That's a that's a good pairing. Okay. I've got a piece of cheese in my hand, so I'm going to try the cheese. <laughs> yeah. What kind of cheese is it? So I can't remember the exact name of it because I don't have it right with me. But when it was described in the store, it was a it was very light creamy. Gruyere, but softer. Okay. So it has some of that like ripe funkiness, mm-hmm. but has that nice um, texture mm-hmm. of kind of a a semi a semi soft cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not firm by any means, but it's also not just gooey and runny. Right. It's not like a brie. It's more like a, um, oh geez, almost like an Emmentaler or. It's sort of like the outside of that Humboldt Fog. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's, but it it's have soft. That taste. It holds its shape. It's not runny. It doesn't have to have, it has a rind, but the, if it, if it didn't have a rind, it's just fine. It's not like oozing all over the plate. Right. Kind of thing. So I, you know, and so I just kind of, I kind of just created this plate around what was available, what sounded good and. Kind of just thinking, if I were to take this, would be kind of like a picnic basket for me. Not a lunchable. Well, could I mean, it could be a lunchable. Yeah, but I mean, besides the sandwich, but well, I don't know. So, how is it going with the cheese? It's going real well. So the the cheese is again got that sweetness to it. So it's it's a little bit funky, but not really. I mean, it's not funky like a Humboldt Fog or. Or some of the Gears or blue cheese or anything like that. But it's got a little bit of funk to it. Because mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, like an Irish cheddar. Right. Which doesn't have any funk at all in my, my book. Doesn't taste salty, but it tastes real well with this wine. Yeah. And so if you've never had a cheese that's got a whole lot of funk, like if you've ever been afraid of it just because of that phrasing, you know, the funkiness is really an earthy quality. Right. It kind of comes across of, yeah, it's it's a little bit stinky, but it really comes across as just really rich in earth. It reminds me like compost, hmm. you know, not quite to that deep manure smell mm-hmm. of, you know, kind of barnyard, but good, rich soil, compost, uh, mushroom, earthy, umami kind of quality. And that's what we kind of call funk in in cheese, in my opinion. What does it taste like to you? Or how, if you could break well, it down a little bit said, farther. When you said mushroom, that's that kind of the... Because mushrooms can be... They really are earthy, but they're not extremely funky. It's not It's, it's not going to make your mouth pucker. This cheese doesn't make your mouth pucker like some cheeses that we've had, like some of the, some of the goat cheese. But it's just kind of middle of the road between... A really funky cheese and something like a cheddar, an yeah. Irish cheddar or something like that. So how would you describe, like for somebody who may not know what funk is in cheese, how would you kind of describe that? I know you kind of mentioned it's kind of like mushroom or is there any way you can describe it more for somebody who may not know it? So that that's hard to do. That's kind of like trying to describe, you know, the sandwich we're about to eat because it's got different different flavors and everybody has a different palate so what i think is extremely funky or i thought was smoky somebody else would say no that's not very smoky i want something smokier or that's something i want that's more funky so the funkiness of this cheese is that it it's got that sweetness Mm -hmm. but it's got that earthy almost 
coming toward bitterness. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's when you say it's funky, it's like, well, it's got so many different layers of taste. Mm-hmm. It's it's not, you know, you kept saying the compost. Well, our compost whoo, sometimes can smell so terrible. But this cheese doesn't, of course, have that compost or barnyard kind of smell to it. Right. But it does have enough sweetness, bitterness, earthiness to say, okay, that's got a light funk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. I'm going to talk about the sandwich, then I'm going to talk a little bit, kind of get into some of the details of the wine, mm-hmm. um, and and then, you know, kind of snack along as I'm, as I'm doing this. So the sandwich is called a Georgie. It's made at a local sandwich shop here in town called called Ham. You know, we've talked about Ham a lot, Hillcrest Area Meats. And it's one of my favorite sandwiches that they do. It's so simple, and it, but it's so delicious. So it is a sandwich that's on a baguette. And it has on the top and the bottom of the baguette, in the, well, after you slice it in half, they do a thick layer of European butter. Mm-hmm. Big, heavy, fat butter that's got that really kind of, you know, almost cheesy kind of quality to mm-hmm. it. And then they stack it high with what's called white ham. Mm-hmm. Or jambon, jambon de blanche, I think is what it's um, called. So it's a it's a it's a European cooked ham. It's not like a deli ham that we have. It's not kind of that sweet honey glazed ham or those type of hams. It's more fatty. It's but it does have some sweetness. It's well, just not as sweet as so the sweetness I think that you're talking about is is just pork's flavor. Because okay. you talked about it again with the with the salami. And that, you know, the sweet fat, you know, it does have smoke to it. It is cooked by itself. But it has a little bit extra kind of fatty quality to it that we don't have in our deli ham. Right. But it has that, it has that ham flavor. Oh, yeah. And that's it. That's all the sandwich is. And it's so simple, but it works so well together. And it, to me... But it's not like a prosciutto or something no. like that. It, no, it's, it's sliced much thicker than prosciutto, but not as thick as sometimes people slice their ham sandwich. Right. It's not carving board cut. Right. You know, but it's it's kind of a more thin, thinner deli slice, but it's cooked. You know, it's not like dried mm-hmm. or cured. It's actually cooked. Yeah. Okay. And and what's the what's the spread? You said it was like a butter. No, it's not like butter. Okay, it is butter. It, it's just butter. Okay, it's not like. Well, I thought I saw some herbs down in there. No. Okay. They may they may sprinkle some salt on top. Okay. They may do some. Oh, they do uh, salt and pepper, so they season it because okay. it's an unsalted butter. Really good. And I mean, it's so simple, and it, I think it's going to go really well with this with this wine because the wine is kind of you know like we talked about it's it's light, it's refreshing, you know, white cherry, light strawberry, roses, you know honeysuckle it's really subtle when it kind of comes through but it has this kind of bready undertone and that's because of what they do when they're making the wine so this wine is a vin gris which is a made white wine vin is wine gris is white yeah or gray actually so we've talked about how you know we had pinot grigio which is you know gray wine which is Pinot Gray, and then we have Pinot Blanc, which is actually a white. So this is kind of, that's why it's a pink, kind of a pinkish color, because we talk about grapes sometimes that are pink. We call them a gris, 
very gray. And so this has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different grape varieties in it. And three of them are actually red grape. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's in they're all Rhone varieties. So mm-hmm. we're talking Grenache, Grenache Blanc, Carignan, Cinso, Movedra, Picpoul, and Vermentino. Well, that's complex. <laughs> it is. And there's only 0.5% Vermentino, which, you know, kind of makes me think that Vermentino was added there as just an acid boost. Or they accidentally got the wrong row. No. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe, but, you know, it's 13.5% alcohol. Yeah. It comes from 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 different vineyards, vineyard sites that they have. And like I said, it's Central Coast, but it's more East, or excuse me, it's more Western Central Coast. They're actually more Northwestern in the region than um, a lot of others. So they're near the coast. So it's cooler. That's how they can get some of these white grapes to so to San give Fra- off that acid. San Fran area? No, San Jose. San Jose area. Right. So technically, I think technically the Central Coast ranges from right around San Francisco all the way to L.A. Right. But it really starts, you see a lot of vineyards outside the San Jose area. So they're, you know, it's really, really good. They talk about the pH level of it and the, the TA, but we don't even need to go into that. Um, but like I said, 13.5% alcohol. And they do what's called batonage. And we've talked about that before. So we've talked about batonage where, you know, after fermentation, they keep it around on its dead yeast. Mm-hmm. So they, it's cured, it's cured. It's aged on the leaves, which are the dead yeast, and then they do a thing called batonage, which is a stirring up of those leaves mm-hmm. to kind of give that extra body and weight to the wine that this has. And that's why it doesn't present as dry as some other wines that you may, dry rosés that you've had that's just dry all the way through. Do you think it's in neutral oak or is it in stainless steel? I bet it's in I bet it's in neutral oak. Yeah, that's what I would get. Most of the time Lee's contact is done in a neutral oak right. or an oak kind of thing. But this so one So it might have started out in stainless steel when it was I'm sure it's fermented in stainless fermented, steel. Fermented, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I was talking about with the kind of the feeling of of this is you know, it's got it's kind of got a good body through the mouth and then that drying and that acid really comes in at the end. And mm-hmm. I think that's because of that Lee's contact and the batonage, yeah. which is a, another French technique. Mm-hmm. We see it a lot in the Loire Valley as mm-hmm. well as in the Rhone region when it comes to whites. And, you know, they did 18,000 cases of this and they say it can drink all the way through 21. So rosés a lot of times are, you know, drink now, drink fast. Yeah. Because uh, they'll go bad. They actually, you know, say you know, if you set it aside for a little bit, you may, you may actually be reap some rewards. And I can kind of see that it's developed a little bit. I think. Okay. Well, I just tried the cheese with but, the rind. Yeah. And that has a lot more funk. Oh yeah. A lot more earthy, and so it made this. It really made this wine stand up and kind of salute to the funk, but then it's like it withstood it. It's like, Mm -hmm. you're not going to bother me with that. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's that Lee's contact. It could be. And adding that extra body and weight to the wine. 
So this is amazing because, you know, when you make beer, you just don't want it to lay around on that dead yeast. <laughs> yeah. Because it's just talk about funk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's called skunky. <laughs> yeah. And it's completely, it's completely different in wine because there are times that you actually want it and it will actually help develop the wine. Mm-hmm. I think these are, we were talking offline, I think these are Bing cherries, even though they weren't bottled, labeled. They, they weren't labeled that. as such, but I can see how you would think they were because they are big, bright red from Washington. Right. Now they're very sweet. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens with the wine. No, it didn't. You know, it. I think the sweetness of that being cherry, if you will, is higher sweetness than the wine, but it didn't make the wine go bitter. The wine. So what did it, it? What did it do? Well, so that sweetness that I was getting from the fruit that I'm I'm perceiving in the wine after trying the bean cherry just kind of disappeared. Well, it wasn't totally gone, but it was in the background. Did it change any of the other flavors to it? I don't think so. You know, I'm still getting the, you know, the honeysuckle or the jasmine. What did you think? So it, to me, it, it kind of brings up a little bit of the acidity to it, a little bit of that bitterness, but it also kind of enhances the fruit over the floral to me. Mm-hmm. I'm getting more of the kind of fruit flavors and I'm getting more underripe fruit than I was before just drinking it by itself. And the the sandwich kind of did the same thing. Well, I think it was that butter, that fat. Mm-hmm. But also the bread, adding that in there kind of, could kind of throw it out of balance a little bit. Well, maybe. I didn't notice the bread bothering it. Yeah, this is a really God, good wine. Good. Yeah, it just kind of kicks up. Now, what was the price else. point? Uh, under 15. Under 15? 14. 14, uh, so it, the store I bought it at was fourteen ninety nine. I've seen it for about 22 but I oh, and it what? wasn't even wine day. It was. That's a great buy. On the shelf for fourteen ninety nine. That's a great buy. Yeah, I bought two. <laughs> <laughs> one for the show, and then one for either later or tomorrow when I can't go buy wine. Yeah. So, have you had the the macaron yet? Not yet. Okay. So this is a this is a guess, and this is really I kind of added this in there because when I think of a meal, I can't think of it without dessert. So what's that purple? It is blueberry. So it's blueberry. A, it's a macaron. blueberry macaron. And so I added in there, thinking well, maybe, but also when I did the meal concept, I wanted to have a dessert. Mm-hmm. Kind of with it, and you know, staying in that European French mode, you know, it's mm-hmm. more European than a macaron. I don't know. Pretty sweet. Well, that's good. So it's sweeter than the Bing cherry, and so I got a little more bitterness from the wine, but not. I mean, it didn't go totally bitter, like we've had experience before, right? You know, so it stood up to it. You know, sweet. Oh, plus that's good. Sweeter, sweet. Oh, that's good. Sour. Didn't happen. Mm-mm. Well, and that's the thing is, I mean, that was good. Mm-hmm. Like the blueberry flavor, like oh, to me, just kind of woke up the wine. It didn't come off dry. No, it didn't finish dry no. because well, that, you're right because the macaron sweetness was still there. And I think that wow, that that was really good. It was unexpected. Because it just kind of kicked up. Well, I just kind of expected it to be flat. 
you know, I didn't really expect that blueberry flavor to enhance the the wine any. And to me, it kind of it adds in some great extra flavor to it. Yeah. Now, before we kind of switch over, because I think we're about okay, we're kind of about there. I wanted to talk about you know why if you look at the label, um, it kind of looks like a UFO trying to abduct you know this vineyard ground. Oh my god! And <laughs> so, and it's called you know vinegary de cigar, so gray wine of cigar. So the story is back in 1954. Village Council of Chateauneuf-du-Pape was quite perturbed and apprehensive about flying saucers or flying cigars, and well, that they or that they might da- might what damage they might do to the vineyard. Well, in that time frame, there was either flying saucers, or there were the long shaped, like zeppelin, which looks like a which cigar. Looked like a cigar, <laughs> so it's like yeah, so. And this says, so the right-thinking men all, they passed, <laughs> they passed an ordinance prohibiting the landing or f- landing of flying saucers or flying cigars in the vineyard. The ordinance further states that any flying saucer or flying cigars that didn't land there are to be <laughs> taken immediately to the impound. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so they just kind of, you know, that's kind of the story behind where they came up with this label art because they they kind of have they have some really cool label art and it's one of the things they actually talk they have a a section Mm -hmm. on their website about their art yeah their um, label art as they call it so i just thought that was a really fun story it is a fun story i didn't notice that on the label yeah and it's kind of you know it's kind of light on this label Mm -hmm. and they actually you know they use a bunch of local artists and they in that label art section they highlight the artists that have done their labels for them oh okay which i think is really and it changes every year oh the label does yeah so it's the then de cigar then greet a cigar and their le cigar volnay or le cigar blanc it kind of they tweak it or kind of change it um, every year, which I think is kind of cool. But wow, um, that is weird. <laughs> anything, anything else about the? Any other questions or anything you want to talk about or this no, wine? That's a good wine. Yeah, I don't know that I would have picked it. I wouldn't known about enough about it. But like you said, if it was one of Seth's picks, you know, typically we write those down. You know, last week is a his uh, weekly article was talking about not drinking. It's so like, no, yeah. that didn't work. So. Right. Well, and so, you know, this is another one we've talked about before. If you're not sure about a wine itself, but you know an importer. Right. This is one of the ones where you can do that. Skernick. Mm-hmm. Skernick Imports. We've, we've ha- I've had a lot of their stuff on there. And they're one that, if I'm not sure about it, and I'm looking at the labels, right. and I see that, oh, it's imported by Skernick, I'm like, okay, well. I know then it's going to be of a particular quality. Right. And I found that, you know, Skernick and uh, Kermit Lynch. Yeah. They're importers that I know and I can trust mm-hmm. that if I'm un- if I've never had the wine before, I know it's going to be one that I will probably enjoy. So that's something else when you're going to pick wines right. that you can use as a skill or a strategy besides just searching or reading the back. label. find those, in, you know, start looking for that on the labels. It's usually on the back label. 
and see, oh, and start noticing, okay, well, you know, this week I've had three wines from this particular importer that I really like. And right. now I have an extra tool in my arsenal when I go to the store. That's I can right. feel more confident about it. Yeah, I never think of that. I'm, I'm always looking, you know, at the label or I'm looking for a particular wine. Or like you said, Seth will write an article and we'll, we'll go look for his wine or I'll see something on the internet and look for that wine. So are we ready to sort of switch over? Yeah, let's go ahead and switch over and start talking about yours. Well, one of the things that... Oh, wait. T- before you do that, tell us what it is in your pairings. Oh, sure. Yeah, I was going to do that. So it's King Estate Pinot Noir Rosé. And this is a 2018 version. And it is 13.5. I think that's what you said yours was as well. And so, you know, the King Estate was just founded in 1991. You know, it was driven by a commitment to sustainability and profound respect for the land. And I really like that. You know, Willamette, we've talked about Willamette Valley in Oregon, I don't know how many times. And it's just amazing how that area can have so many good, good wines. Well, and even before you said that it was from Willamette, when you talked about you talked about King Estate, and then you're like, oh, well, they're defined by sustainability. And I thought, well, I bet they're from Oregon. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's a defining factor of the region and the area in Oregon that they that they're they're defined by that. Also, that they were started in 91 because right. it's a little bit of a newer area. Oh, and if you were listening last week, I said La Crema Pinot Noir Rosé. And so what happened is I went to the liquor store, our favorite liquor store, and I'm over there in the rosé section, and I'm looking and looking and looking. So finally I get one of the guys to, well, it didn't take that long, but I, I finally meant I looked for a long time. And then I asked, and I said, well, where's the La Crema Rosé? And he said, well, let me go look, look, check in the back, and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't know this happens, but, you know, things move on and off of the shelf based on a good liquor store is looking to get you a good price. And so that's what he told me about La Crema was its price has moved up. Its price point has moved up. So they took it off off the shelf because of that price point. Now, what I ended up doing is this particular liquor store has a, has a section of staff picks. Mm-hmm. And it's something that goes on every month. Right. And so this particular one is a staff pick of one of the owners, Park Trim. And its price point was like sticker on the on the bottle was like twenty one something, and the price point on sale because it was staff pick is eighteen. Okay, eighteen something. So you can't can't go wrong there. I don't think I ever said my my snacks, mm-hmm. but it's avocado bacon toast. This may be a stretch mm-hmm. because of the avocado, the bacon, the tomato. We'll see how that goes with this rosé. And then paella. And it has chicken, shrimp, and chorizo. And then 
I couldn't decide which chocolate. And <laughs> I know you like blood orange, Josh. Mm-hmm. But I found a blood orange chocolate, and I found a raspberry chocolate. So I've got two choices. Do it in any order you want to. You can char- start with the chocolate. Now, I'm a little nervous that the wine is not that sweet. So these chocolates may overpower and, and make the wine bitter, but I hope not. Okay. Have you tried anything yet? I mean, I've tried the wine. So tell me what you thought. So first of all, this is a, it's a rosé Pinot Noir. It's got that pink, nice color. Did it say, is it a, is it a Signe rosé or did they talk about how they make, how they make this rosé at all? They did talk about how they make it. So while he's looking that up, a signe rosé, signe means to bleed in French. And so when they're making red wine, as they're doing the pressing and the the sitting on the skin, sometimes they'll bleed off mm-hmm. some of the wine mm-hmm. to, to add more body and complexity to the red wine they're making. And they have this wonderful rosé. So that's what a rosé de signe is. That's why it's because it's like bled off from the main pack. So it's hard to tell what they did because it says um, this Pinot Noir Rosé, and it just talks about most of them, are produced by lightly crushing the grape, chilling them, and cold masquerading, masquerading them for 48 hours. Then the juice is drained off, fermented in stainless steel in a manner similar to the production of white wine. Okay, so that's that's not a signe. That would then be it a, says the second method or signe eliminates the cold salt. So that so they're but I, guess, I don't know which one. They I guess what they're did. saying is for their production level, they do both. Yeah. So they either they either do the forty eight hour maceration, and they're probably pulling it off at the same time mm-hmm. that they would, so they get a consistent color. And and body and flavor, but okay, cool. So they're they're kind of doing both methods. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Or you know, some kind of combination of both, depending on the probably depending on the Pinot Noir vintage and how oh, much I, they get. You get some peach. I didn't realize, but it's there. I get some like white peach or nectarine, uh-huh. like nectarine. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Or it's not. I would not say it's a yellow peach or a yellow nectarine. It's more okay. the white style where it's a little bit lighter. You know, I get some cherry on it, some like kind of white cherry or lighter cherry. Rose petals. I don't get oh, a whole roses. lot of flor. I don't get a whole lot of floridity. I don't either. One. But this is a this is a bold rosé. Um, this is a big boy, and you can kind of tell that it's from Pinot Noir just by the body. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead and taste it. You'll kind of notice that the the flavor is it's big, it's kind of assertive. It's got some tannin to it. And it's so it's a it's it's a it's a bigger rosé, whereas the the Vin Gris that we just had was kind of more of a softer, lighter style. This mm-hmm. is a kind of more in your face. And that's why I was asking if it was a signe because mm-hmm. signes to me usually have that little bit more of a big, bold kind of presence about them. Oh, yeah. OK. And this that kind of reminds me of that. So this was well for twenty nineteen. You know, these ratings, I don't know how you trust them, but it says 90. Yeah. That's pretty high. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, if you're if you're into ratings, nineties nineties a good rating. So I I don't know that I've had this before. But it's it's yeah, very I think I think we I have I think we have. I think it's you know, it's very good. It's about that price point and before I really started introducing you and mom to a lot of French rosés, mm-hmm. I remember this one this one coming home quite a bit. Okay. And I, you know we <laughs> we didn't do a French an actual French rosé on our rosé podcast. And I love French rosés, but I I wanted to go a little bit out of the box personally. But this is really good. It's got it's got that good acidity to make sure it's still dry. And it's got great big flavor. It does have that remnants of a Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. Like you can still kind of get mm-hmm. some of those great flavors that they have going on in it. And it's a it's a great little rosé. King Estate's a great, great vineyard up there. Great winery up there. You know, we went we went to Did you guys go to King Estate? We didn't go to King Estate. I mean, there's so many in that Willamette Valley. It's like you could spend weeks there, I think. Yes. And I want to. <laughs> so we visited Ken and Joan when I, you know, on my Tesla road trip after I retired. And we went to maybe two or three. Yeah. But how many would there have been? Five, six, eight, ten? I don't know. Oh, there were, a, I mean, that was what? Well, Lamech, 2000. Because Lam- this is down in Eugene. Right. And so there's there's a lot of north of Salem and even, of course, Eugene's south of Salem, I think. No, Eugene is north of Salem. Mm-hmm. So it stretches pretty far. Yeah, I mean, it stretches almost all the way to Portland. Like the Willamette mm-hmm. Valley, almost like you you can get there very easily from Portland and it's not far out of out of Portland till you get there. So I see you going into the avocado toast. Have you tried it? I have not yet. I'm building up the courage. Avocado is not one of my main things. Well, you know, avocado is an acquired taste. You know, this is an acquired <laughs> tasting podcast, so you kind of have to acquire that taste. It does have bacon on it. Mm-hmm. I know you like bacon. It has tomato on it. It has recipe called for chives. I didn't have any chives, but I did have uh, green onion and then That's parsley. Nice. Okay. So... Avocado to me is always sweet. Oh, and it has lemon juice. Okay. But it's it's not so sweet that it's overpowering this wine. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what, you know, both these wines have that perceived sweetness from the fruit. Right. And that's why, like, whenever I'm, like, talking to people about wine, you know, I try and say, okay, don't say the word sweet. Mm-hmm. Try and talk about the fruit of it. That's why, you know, I try and try to reiterate, at least in the first one, that it is not sweet. It's actually a dry rosé. Uh-huh. But it is very fruity. Right. It does have a lot of fruit in it. Well, King's Estate is a sustainability farm. 1,003, no, 1,033 acres. So it's pretty good size. Mm-hmm. It's a big boy. Yeah. Whenever we go back. So our friends, Ken and Joan, that we spent time with on that road trip, well, they have sold that house, and I think their only house now is in in the in Mexico. I forget the name of the location, but it's up in the mountains of uh, 
uh, north of Mexico City. Right. But yeah, this is really good. Yeah, so the the avocado toast, that oniony, fatty quality that comes in with the with the avocado and the green onion and the bacon and that little pop of the city from the tomato work really well with this wine kind of balances it out gives it some of that kind of earthiness that it may not that it doesn't really have kind of like that was in the the vinaigrette cigar mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what do you think of it oh i like it of course i i like avocados you know it's hard to buy avocados Sometimes you'll buy them and they're hard as a rock, but yeah. So how does it go with the wine? I, think I know, you, I know you like the avocado toast, but how does it go? What is it? How does it taste with the wine? So to me, avocados are sweet. So that sweetness and the wine has that perceived sweetness of strawberries or pomegranate or whatever you're tasting. And so I think it goes really well with this wine. Do you so, get pomegranate on the wine? So, pomegranate is one of those tastes that it's hard to perceive, but I sort of perceive it in the really back, back, background. Okay. And isn't pomegranate, doesn't pomegranate, um, that's how you could make... Grenadine? Grenadine. Yeah, pomegranate, I think it's pomegranate and rose. That's what makes grenadine. But yeah, it does have kind of that bright pop of... Because pomegranate to me is a little acidic too. Yeah. Got a good flavor, but it has that little bit of pop of acidity. If I'm thinking back to the last time I ate some pomegranate. Now, this paella is really good. First of all, great job on the paella. But it's got a big chunk of spice to it, at least to me. It's got some good spiciness. I know you said there's chorizo in there. Um, I'm sure there's some other cayenne and chili powder in there as well. So there's no cayenne. There is uh, paprika. Mm-hmm. I, I ran sweet? out of, What? What type of paprika? Did you? Just ground paprika. I thought I had some smoked paprika, which I think would have been better. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. And then there is the red chili peppers. Red chili flake. Right, flake. So, you know, that's, yes. that chorizo. That's chorizo. It's... I mean, kind of overpowering. Well, but no, it's actually kind of balanced. Like it's it's warm, like it has a great spice flavor, which is what paella is supposed to have. Mm-hmm. But you know, for me, it's right there on the edge mm-hmm. for my spiciness. Mm-hmm. I know I could eat a whole bunch of it, but it goes really well with this with this wine. You know that spiciness; it dulls the wine a little bit mm-hmm. because it doesn't have. In here, it doesn't have sweetness to it. It is a dry rosé, so there there may be a little bit of residual sugar. Does it say that in the in their text sheet? Anything I about I hadn't found that RS or there may be a little bit on there, but I don't think so. There's got to be a little. Uh, yeah, but it's still it's no. I'm I would it would maybe I don't know. I don't really taste like there's residual sugar. Like I'm not getting that tip of the tongue sugar kind of sugar rush what do you think it might be oh i think it's just the fruit characteristic of the of the wine but what i'm saying is so the wine goes a little dull with the spice 
the spice kind of hits it and kind of takes it to that next level. But soup, the pie is super flavorful. Like, seriously, good job. When was the last time you made paella? It's been a while. That's a real good question, Josh. So, usually when we go down to Cabo, we have a timeshare in Cabo San Lucas, which is right there on the end of the California Peninsula. Cook there, main chef, if you will. He typically has a paella class. Right. Where he cooks a, a big monster amount of it. Yeah, it's really hard to make a small amount of paella. Well, I, I made enough for eight people, so <laughs> I got, Like got, I said, it's hard to make a small amount of paella. We got plenty. And uh, anyway, I, I took the class multiple years, I guess. And there's an art to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm... You know, you could have, we could have added all kinds of other seafoods and, you know, all kinds of other meats. I'm very glad you used chicken or vegetable stock in it and not fish stock. I wanted to use fish stock, but that would have, I would have been in a real time crunch. I appreciate it. There is shrimp in here. Well, yeah, but so I've had paellas multiple different times. And the ones that I have not enjoyed because I don't like seafood are the ones that are made with fish stock. Mm Mm-hmm. But if there's if there's seafood in it, it doesn't it doesn't really bother me. That's why when I make it at home, I either use chicken or I use vegetable stock. Yeah, to kind of add it in there. So I want you to try something because I'm not going to, and I kind of want to know how the wine goes with this. Try one of the shrimp, just the shrimp, like no rice or anything else. But try one of the shrimp that you have in your paella, and then try it with the wine. I'm I'm interested to know how that spicy, really flavorful shrimp is going to go with the wine. Yeah, okay. I will. And, you know, while you're doing that, I'm going to talk a little bit about the paella. Paella is a lot about technique over... About what? It's about technique and it over, like, skill. It, it, it takes a little bit of skill to make, but it's kind of like risotto to me. Mm-hmm. You know, risotto seems this like super impossible, really hard thing to make, and it's really actually kind of simple. It's very you, simple. You just have to take the time and use a few simple techniques to make good risotto. And paella to me is the same way. It's about layering the flavors. It's about making sure the rice is done without being overcooked, making sure every, all your other meats are in there and everything's well well flavored. And, you know, I really want to kind of, t- you know, tell people if you're if you're thinking about making paella, I think go ahead, give it a try. Right. You know, really pay attention to the rice type you buy and the recipes technique. That's right. Because if you have the wrong type of rice, it'll screw it up. Well, and it's I think you said this. It's a time thing. Yeah. It takes about an hour of attentive time. Well, according to the recipe that I pulled up. I don't know why I didn't write down the recipe when we were in Cabo. (laughs) Maybe I did. I just couldn't find it. But it's like, it's 30 minutes of prep and it's 30 minutes of cooking. Yeah. So there's an hour. Yeah. And then there's that slop of, I'm chopping up things and I don't get it quite right. Takes a little longer. Well, and, you know, the evaporation and the the soaking in of the, the broth for the type of rice you have like it there are there are variants of it but it's you know it's i think it's really good so 
So, oh. so we have two pie uh, pans. <laughs> yes, we do. Well, there's a one that <laughs> is totally curved, and it's the official one. But for our, we have induction, so you have to have the right metal for that pan to work. And we do have the right metal. But the bottom of that pan is only maybe six inches around. Oh, and the small one, yeah. And then we got this other pie pan that's like 15 inches around. And same thing. You've got this burner. The burner that's only six <laughs> inches. Don't, yeah. Didn't we have another one that was like 28 inches? Oh, we did. I don't know. What I think happened. it's still back in the garage somewhere. I don't know what happened. That one we when we cooked with it, we did a big party. I can't remember what party it was. It wasn't mom's retirement or Well, we did it on pro, on our propane. Right, and that's where I was getting to. But we did a big party, but we used our propane we used a propane burner. A big propane burner, the same one we used to fry our turkeys with. So the shrimp, you asked me about that. Yeah. So the shrimp shrimp to me is like sweet. Okay, but then it's got all this layer of different paste. Yeah, because because of the rice being cooked, so you cook the you first coat the rice in olive oil, the the uh, garlic, and then the pepper, the flaked pepper, red peppers. Mm -hmm. So now you got all all that on the rice. Well, of course, some of that is going to infuse over to the shrimp, right? And that's why I was curious at what it, how it went with the wine itself. So, to me, that sweetness of the shrimp and the sweet perceived sweetness of the wine did really well. Okay, cool. I figured the it was going to go well. I was a nervous about the cerizo. You know, cerizo is one of those things that it's like, does hams have it? They do. So, cerizo is a strange beast yeah so you go to some grocery stores and you get this cerizo in this kind of tube thing and it's like it's not smoked it's not smoked or cased no it's it's like a squeeze you put it in you put it in and you cook it and you get so much oil coming out of it you gotta start you gotta wipe that out and start over and that's what i had okay so there there are paella recipes that i've seen mm-hmm. that we use like old school chorizo where you you have to slice it like it's a like it's a salami okay because that's what you get because that because that's what it is that's and how it should that's be what you get in spain it is it is because that's where paella starts right and what they do is they'll have you slice it they have you slice it and the first step is to render out that fat that comes from the chorizo and that's your fat base for your rice. Mm-hmm. So rather than using olive oil and some extra spices, they actually use that oil that oil fat from the chorizo mm-hmm. as that coating and cooking level for the rice. Mm-hmm. And that's really good because you don't have to add a... You can add a, more spice to it, but then you get that natural spicing, spiciness that comes from the chorizo. And then they put the little crispy chorizo bits back in. and it's, it's They like, put the what? So that you like you chunk up the chorizo and then you render it out so you get like the little cubes, oh, the little yeah. crispy cubes mm-hmm. of chorizo, and then at the end they'll put them back into the paella. So then when you're eating it, you get that little bit of you know, 
just cooked rice, then you get that really crunchy little bit of chorizo. It's really good. So you asked me about the residual sugar. Mm-hmm. So I kind of looked while we were talking, but I couldn't find it. So that probably means there is no, either no or it's very, very little. So right. that's why, that's why this wine to me goes a little flat with this spice is it doesn't have anything to kind of hold itself up to. So you tried any of the chocolate? I'm trying it now. So remind us what types of chocolate they are and kind of your thinking behind it. So one is blood orange and one is raspberry. And, and I, don't, have- I don't know the coca count. Well, they're, they're dark chocolate, though. They're dark, but I don't know if they're like 80 or... Probably 70. Well, that's what I'm thinking. 78-ish or more. Because they're not real bitter. Mm-mm. And they have like little freeze-dried bits of the fruit in it. And so I got the blood orange because I know how much you love it. Yeah, I almost got blood orange macarons today. Mm. But I'm really glad I got the blueberry. So did you try one of the chocolates? Yeah, so I'm trying the the raspberry chocolate with this right now. The bitterness of the chocolate just kind of cuts out the bitterness of the wine. Mm-hmm. And leaves it very, very fruit forward. You know, I'm tasting so that was all the raspberry. That. Yeah, but I think it's more the, the actual chocolate than the raspberry itself. But it leaves the, you know, that that cherry that I guess you could call it pomegranate because I don't know that flavor very well. Uh, but that red berry flavor that's kind of what I'm tasting in the in the wine more now with the with the chocolate. What about you? I think I'm getting the same thing. That raspberry, I, I want to try one of these raspberry macarons. Blue blueberry. They're blueberry. They're blueberry. Oh, I thought they were raspberry. Mm-hmm. No, they're blueberry. That's why the top of the macaron looks blue. Okay. Well, I'm still gonna try it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now the blood orange chocolate doesn't really have like dried bits of blood orange in it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they've added some blood orange juice into the oh, really? inter- entered it into the chocolate making process, or maybe zest. Yeah, it's really good though. Sweet orangey chocolate. I mean, orange and chocolate—you can't, you just can't go wrong with. So we got some good food here. Mm-hmm. Any questions? So you said King Estate's been around since '91, right? Right. Which is you know pretty pretty newest. I mean, newer than the Bonnie Doon. And this is an 18, 2018 vintage. So, I mean, I don't really have any questions about it. I'm going to try this. With I the, think, well, and what I also saw was that that is the premier vintage of the Pinot Noir Rosé. Okay. So 2018. The, the first time they That's the done first it? time they did it. Okay. You need to try the blood orange chocolate with this wine because it is exquisite. I was getting to that. Get this rice off of it. <laughs> Need to get you a bigger plate next time. That's all right. I think I think best of plate. Uh oh. Best of plate's gonna be gonna be pretty interesting on both these plates today. I don't know what we're gonna do. <laughs> that blood orange is much better than the raspberry chocolate. Yeah, you actually get more of the orange. You really do. You get more of that orangey kind of flavor into the the Josh, chocolate it's itself. Almost like I have a cocktail. <laughs> huh? I can kind of see that. I can kind of see that. Blood orange, you know, some Salerno and some Godiva chocolate liqueur, I guess. Basically what it is. 
So what do you think of the pairing? I so that chocolate is very sweet. The blood orange has that little bit of bitterness that you would expect. And so when you drink the wine, you got the chocolate and you got the bitterness and then the wine just kind of layers over that perceived sweetness that you get from right. this wine, which is either the pomegranate or the strawberry. I'm really getting more of the strawberry than I'm getting of the pomegranate. Yeah. Because, you know, pomegranate is such a light flavor. Yeah, I'm definitely getting, you know, strawberry and um, and raspberry and cherry. You know, those are really, really coming through with that chocolate. Now, there's... You know, there's lots of different uh, soil types. You know, we got the volcanic and the sedimentary and the silty and the looms. Loam. Loams. Iron-rich basalt. I mean, Willamette Valley has just got it going. Yeah, maybe we'll have to do an on-site, an on-site podcast sometime soon. I'm not sure how we're going to do that. This stuff travels. So, um, I don't have any other questions about it. I think it's, you know, it's really good. Are you ready for best on plate? Yeah. All right, let's start with my plate. What did you think was best on plate? Best pairing. So, best on your plate. Man, that's a tough one. I really, really like the cheese. But as far as best on the plate, because the the things that were added to it is that sandwich. Okay. Because you got the cooked sandwich, the ham, the cooked ham. And it's not as sweet as an American uh, ham that you might get, like the just a deli cut. ham, yeah, deli. Yeah. But that bread, you know, it's like a it's a baguette, baguette. Mm-hmm. and then you got that butter. And I swear, there's something mixed with that butter. It, it's salt. <laughs> it, it's salt and pepper. Well, they put salt okay. and pepper on. Well, yeah, that gave those different layers to your wine. That made it best on plate to me. Okay. So for me, it was that blueberry macaron. Oh, it was yeah. good. Wait a minute. I, that, I put <laughs> that blue that blueberry macaron just added depth and almost like clarity to the wine that just made it made both of those sing sing so well because you know the macaron's so sweet, mm-hmm. great fruit flavor, the the wine added acidity and dryness to that, and then that fruit flavor just added and complemented everything else that was going on with the oh, wine. Yeah. That I think was just, it was magical. Now, uh, what about your plate? I just ate some of that macaron. I might have to change my opinion. Your plate. <laughs> well, what about... Where did you get the... Whole Foods. Really? Uh-huh. They have a little cold case where they have macarons. I'm going to have to look for that because those were... That was really good. I debated between the blueberry, the lemon, and the blood orange. And I ended up deciding on the blueberry because of the, the berry quality. Oh, they also had raspberry, but I was like, uh-huh. uh, that, I think that's going to be too similar. What a little bit of contrast. So what about on your plate? What was best on your plate? I'm conflicted. You may have to go first because I, mean, I really like the avocado toast. I really like the paella and the two different cheeses. Of the Cho- two cho- cho- chocolates, chocolate of the two chocolates, the blood orange was the best. But I'm, why don't you go first, and I'm gonna have okay. to think I'll, about it. I can go first, and and it's not gonna take me very long. It's the blood orange chocolate. 
The blood orange chocolate did the same thing to this wine that the blueberry macaron did to mine. It gave it depth, it gave it life, and kind of brought it up. Now, very close second was that paella. Yeah. The paella was really good. The only thing that I think was was a little bit discordish was the spiciness. Too much? Well, for the wine. You know, for this for a paella, I would really want, you know, like a Ria Spicha, like a you know, kind of that you know, really fruity wine or even a Riesling. Like just adding some of that extra sweetness or Gehertzmeter to give it that So what Spanish wine would you put put with this paella? So if I was gonna go if I had to do a Spanish wine it was Span paella is really I, Spanish. I know. I know it is. If I had to do a Spanish a Spanish wine with it, it would probably be either a cava yeah. or the Ria Spicha, an Albarino. I think the Ria Spicha would be really good. Now they're from, you know, completely opposite parts of the country. That's right. So that's the Bacava is made near Barcelona where Paella was kind of invented and where it's known for. That's kind of why I was thinking a cava would be good because cava has a little bit of inherent sweetness to it and a little bit of effervescence that I think would complement that spiciness. Yeah, those bubbles wouldn't hurt, would they? <laughs> I mean, bubbles, <laughs> bubbles never hurt. Yeah. So that's but for me, it's definitely the the blood orange chocolate. It just it 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 awoke it woke up that wine to me and just kind of We're good the yeah. chocolate. It had that that fatty quality that coated your mouth, and like it was really good if you took a bite. Cleared your mouth with the chocolate and then had a drink of the wine, but it was exquisite. You had to buy the chocolate, didn't clear it all out of your mouth, and then took a drink of the wine. Okay. It just I was like, it was like fireworks in my mouth. So I, I think I had some really good pairings. Oh yeah, you had great ones today. The, the, well, you did too, but the paella, I think I wanted it to be the best, but I don't think it was because the Avocado toast had so many different layers. Yeah. You know, it had the bacon, it had the the tomato, it had the avocado itself, and then the little mix of the lemon juice and the parsley and and the green onion. green onion just made so many layers that that made it my best on plate. Yeah. No, I I can totally understand that. So it was really good. This I mean, this has been a really good one. Well, you ready to blind me? Are you ready? I am ready enough. Ready as you ever get. All right, let's get it poured up. All right. All right, so we got the blind poured up and ready to go. Once again, I'm using a tasting grid, which was created by a former boss of mine, Jennifer Hendrickson, who is now the Director of Education and Learning at Domain Serene out in Oregon. All right, you ready for this, Dad? Here we go. I'm ready. All right, so this is a red wine. There is no evidence of gas or sediment in it. It is a deep concentration. Yeah, I kind of say it's a deep concentration of almost purpley. Yeah, almost purple going out to a little bit of magenta, magenta edge. There are some good legs on this wine. We'll say they are kind of medium. Plus, they're a little quick, quick moving. So the secondary colors, like I said, there aren't really many. It's really rich and dark. There is 
a little bit of evidence of staining in the tears as I'm looking at it. I see a little bit of color in those in the uh, legs or tears as they're falling down the glass. So let's go ahead and head on to the nose of this wine. All right, this is wine is clean. It is moderate to uh, actual powerfully intense. Kind of jumps out of the glass at me a little bit. It smells a little youthful. I don't think it's really developed very much. There's a bunch of flower on this one, so there's definitely some desiccated ro- um, violet on there. The fruit seems very ripe, almost overripe or baked. It's more like black characteristic of blackberry, black cherry, almost almost a little bit of cassisiness to it. Um, like I said, there's some good floralness on this. There's a little bit of like green herbaceous or vegetalness on there, but it's com- it's not super present. There's a little bit of earthiness to it, but it's not real present on the nose. Um, not really a whole bunch of oak, or I'm sorry, of earthiness to it. Uh, there's a little bit of, I would say there's maybe some oak usage when it comes to the, there's a little bit of spicy quality, some little bit of uh, those kind of warming baking spices, not like, um, not really dill or coconut on it. On to the palate. No real faults to this wine. The acid is medium plus. The alcohol, say it's medium plus. There's a good bit of tannin on it. I'm going to double check that. It's like medium. I don't don't know about medium plus. Oh, yeah. Tannins on this are definitely medium plus. Now, Dad, when I'm talking about alcohol level, medium is 11.5% to 12.5%. Oh, okay. Medium plus is, is, you know, 12.5% to 14%. Okay. To it's fourteen and a half. Plus, but definitely. Yeah. So, it, but it's not you know it's not one of those big fourteen and a half or above one. So that's no, it's what, not a zen. <laughs> I would not say it as a zen. <laughs> um, the tans are definitely medium plus. I'm feeling them up on my front of my mouth, drying out my mouth real quick. It's a um, kind of a full bodied wine, but it's a little bit of rounder texture. So I'm going to confirm all those that floralness that I was talking about. There's definitely some of those baking spices that are going on. A little bit of that, you know, kind of herbally um, kind of flavor with, you know, some of that green vegetalness to it. Really good dark fruit. Oh, yeah. Confirming all those good big black fruits, blackberry, black cherry, almost cassisiness. And they are, they are ripe. They are present. Not quite stewed or baked like I thought it was going to be when I was smelling it on the nose. Mm-hmm. Now you got to figure out old world or new world. There is still some, there's some earthiness on it, but it's really light kind of in the background. Not really any kind of minerality on it. Um, this is definitely a dry, a dry red wine. The complexity, I'm going to say, is kind of medium. And the finish on it is kind of medium. The alcohol is definitely present, so I'm, I'm confident in that medium plus. Okay. Medium plus kind of call. Ooh, that's a good wine. <laughs> So, I'm going to say that this is a New World wine. New World? From a little bit of a warmer climate. Okay. Possible grapes include Malbec, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, um, Syrah. Possible countries, we're talking Argentina, Chile, United States, and Australia. So, what makes you think it's New World as opposed to Old World? Because there's not really a a massive earthiness or mineral quality. It's really driven by its fruit characteristic and its non-fruit 
I'm, I'm missing a lot of those earthy undertones that I would expect in an old world wine. Mm. Okay. I think that this is a Malbec. I think it's from Argentina, from the Mendoza region. And I think it's probably, I think it's probably from 2018. So that's what I'm going to go with for my call, a Argentinian Malbec from about 2018. All right, there you have it. Yeah, so you'll have to come back next week to figure out if if I was right for once or if I was incorrect again. Like I've been on wines and halt- in uh, for uh, for quite a while. I really want to thank you guys for joining us, Dad. This was a great. Uh, we enjoyed it. Didn't uh, we? It was a great little uh, a tasting today, wasn't it? It was a great one. So we had we had some great stuff. Now next week, next week's going to be a little bit of a. Uh, Kind of a sidestep, I would say, from our normal format. Next week, when in our recording, where we're recording, it is going to be the opening of the English Premier League soccer tournament or league. And I have three of my friends who we are all big soccer fans. And so what's your team, Josh? Well, I don't know. You don't know? I don't know because every year we get together and we play beer pong to figure out which my team oh, is are we gonna play beer pong well this week? no not on not on the actual episode but what we're gonna do is we're gonna get together for a beer week and the theme of the beer week is going to be either english beers or a beer that reminds my friends of their team oh, so okay but they don't know their team so they'll play well, baseball i'm the only one that we play beer pong oh so my friend i'm gonna have my friend steven my friend dave and my friend kevin all on the episode, Steven is an Everton fan, and he's going to be bringing a beer that reminds him of Everton, and Dave and Kevin are both Arsenal fans, and they're going to try and either bring something that reminds them of their team, or they're just going to bring a good little English beer. And we're going to have a good old time talking about it. I will reveal what my team is on the podcast, and um, depending on depending on how, how much I can think, uh, before we record, I'll either be bringing a good little English beer or something that that's going to make me think of my my new team. So it's going to be a little bit of a departure from our normal podcast, but I think it's going to be lots of fun. Sounds like it. Bringing my friends in, and we are still going to do beer. So watch the watch Instagram and Facebook to see what we're going to do. I'm still going to be putting up the stories before the episode airs, so that if you want to taste along, you'll definitely be able to. You gonna make one of those guys blind? No, I'm sure. I bet I'll end up blinding okay. um, for that okay. week. But we'll definitely, there'll definitely be a good a good beer blind as we're uh, as we're moving forward. So, uh, like I said, like I just previously said, feel free to you know we'd love for you to follow us on on our social media platforms on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, you know, if you if you like us, you know, we would love for you to go ahead and tap that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform. Give us some stars. Give us a review. We love to see those coming in and, you know, feel free to reach out to us on any of those platforms or even send us an email at acquiredtastings at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. And we just really enjoy that you guys are here with us. That's right. For, for you know, over over a year now, which is crazy to think about as we're moving forward in this, in this, uh, in this crazy thing. But, yeah, send us an email. Tell us what you think. So, 
like we said, give us a like or a subscribe, whatever your platform platform says. And once again, I'm Josh Mills. And I'm John Mills. And we'll see you next time. Thank you and goodbye.